Pastor Mark has alluded to, we are in this series in Revelation. We're just in the first three chapters, though. It's not a Revelation series, really, so to speak. Uh, but it's been a good ride, in my opinion, because it's the last Sunday that we are doing this series. We did start in chapter one, where uh, John talks about, uh, well, he's writing, he received a vision from God and he, and he writes it down. And the style of Revelation is, is different to the rest of the most of the rest of the Bible, by the way. You know, he writes in an apocalyptic style. That means he's talking about future events and he, and he uses quite a um, symbolic style of, of writing. And trying to interpret that can sometimes be somewhat difficult. But it, it is the, the, the last book of the Bible. You know, it's part of this unfolding story of, of God and, and humanity. It's his inspired word to us, though, so it's truth. It doesn't mean that we, that we ignore Revelation. Uh, we should certainly read it and we should um, seek to study it and understand and interpret it really well. It's this big picture. If I had to get some takeaways from what Revelation is, is about, you know, if I just step back from all of the detail in there, I think the key thing is we need to know, we need to understand what we're reading there is that God is, is sovereign, okay? You know, he's, his plans will be fulfilled. Like, you can take that message from Revelation. The second thing is Jesus will return. And I know um, Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years. But the first coming of Jesus was talked about for a long time as well. And Jesus did come. So we know he will return. The third thing that I get from Revelation is that we, the church, need to be ready for his return. You know, when he comes, he should find us filled with faith and living out his mission here on earth. The fourth thing that I get from Revelation is that evil still is at work until God brings to conclusion this time. And the fifth thing is that we have a job to do. You know, we have this, we got to be the light in the dark. It's not what the lamps are about. I'm just pointing them to as a light source. We have to be the light in the dark as we go about this. You know, we don't want to be the dark in the dark. We have to be the light in the dark. The church has to be the light in the dark. So we're in the first three chapters on this series focused on this, uh, these seven letters that Jesus asked John to write down and to deliver. And, and he did to each of these particular churches in the area where he was close to where he was held captive as a political prisoner. And he makes the point that a church that truly belongs to Jesus, people know if it's a Jesus church. Do you know what I mean? And he, and he uses the symbol of the lamp. And he says that you're, if a church follows me, if I manifest my presence there, there's a lamp that indicates that he is there. That's my interpretation of it anyway. And you remember the first the very first church in Ephesus, he said, you know, there's, there's got to be love in the church because that's, I am love and that represents me really well. Love for me, love for each other, love for people. And there was just a warning in there. And he says, if there's no love in the church, in fact, the way I see it, if these things that, that Jesus warns all his churches about, if they're missing, you know, the lamp kind of isn't there. I gotta, I'll take it away because then, and I won't manifest my presence. I won't put back my lamp unless these things are there. So that's what we've been looking at. The first week, well, number one was the church must have that love. That was Ephesus. Number two was if you follow Jesus, you will at times come under pressure, perhaps even persecution. And some people around the world know what that means. Because you follow me, 
because you use my name and say that you belong to Jesus. And when you do, he says, remain faithful because I'm faithful to you no matter what happens. Even if you lose your life because of me. I'm still faithful to you. That was Smyrna. Number three, stay true to his word and teaching and do everything you can to, to be on guard for compromise. That was Pergamum. In a similar vein, watch out for teachers who deceive the church and teach a gospel that kind of scratches itchy ears but isn't actually the, the gospel. That was Thyatira. Number five, a, spiritual, a spiritually complacent church is a spiritually asleep or dead church. You know, you can be all shiny and impressive on the surface and have an appearance of life, but underneath you can be spiritually asleep. And Jesus, remember, he said, wake up. That was his message to the church in Sardis. And last week was Philadelphia, a call to hold on to what you already have because life does, does get hard. You know, it, it, it does get tough. And Jesus sees you in those moments. That was the message in there. He sees you. In fact, he lives in you if, you've, if you're one of his. He's the resurrected Jesus who conquered the grave and that same power that conquered the grave lives in us so we can actually hold on and in victory. And uh, if you were here last week, you know, we shared a few things, didn't we? Where people just said, well, here's what Jesus has done because he said, hold on to what you have. And, and it was like a long list that everyone shared of what we can actually hold on to. And we have to remember these things. That's why we even gather on a Sunday is to remember what Jesus has done so we can hold on. This week is letter number seven, the last one. We're in Laodicea. So let's check the map one more time. Here's John down on Patmos, bottom left-hand corner in the circle there on that little island. And then you've got these seven towns or cities with a church in each, and they're all linked clockwise by road. And that just happens to be the order that they're in, in Revelation. So it, it kind of makes sense. So let's read it. We're in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. You know, he always starts with reminding everyone who he is. Verse 15, I know that all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me. So you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Now, we just need a little bit of context here because you can misinterpret this passage a little bit. We gotta know, we gotta understand the Laodicea, we were talking about Philadelphia last week. Laodicea is about 65 Ks southeast of Philadelphia. These towns don't exist today. But unlike Philadelphia, Remember last week we were saying they were a poor town. You know, that was part of their, their perceived lack of strength. Although Jesus said, you're strong because of me. 
So Philadelphia was a poor town. Laodicea was known to be wealthy. You know, they were, they were like the, the economic center of that particular region. But being that they were so close to Philadelphia, you remember we talked about there had been an earthquake. And that, that had been another one of their, their struggles back then. But this particular town, Laodicea, they had also struggled, obviously, that being that close, they had the, that same earthquake. But historians say that they refused aid from Rome to rebuild. They were very, they had a lot of pride in themselves. They were wealthy, they were independent, they can rebuild themselves. The other thing that we need to understand about this town is that they were right between one town, Heropolis, which was famous for its hot springs. Uh, and, and, you know, those hot springs, they got a reputation for kind of like healing properties. You know, like when we go in, in a spa or in a hot spring somewhere, it's just like, oh, yeah, like I can feel it in my bones. Healing properties. And then in another town just next to them was uh, Colossae. They had cold springs. And they were known to be very refreshing. So right in the, in the middle of hot and cold, of these two springs, hot and cold, that were really good, is Laodicea. They didn't have either of those things. In fact, apparently their water was, quite frankly, not very good. You know, it was, it was lukewarm. In fact, it had a smell to it, apparently. This is what I was reading. I was researching it this week. So when Jesus says that this church is not hot nor cold, he was referring to the context they were in. He's not saying that being, having a cold faith means that you have no faith. Okay, he's saying hot and cold both, in a sense, have a healing properties. You know, it's good for us. They both have faith. And I've heard preachers say Jesus would rather you be completely cold in your faith than rather... The, or, or not have faith and be lukewarm. And that's, that would be a misinterpretation, in my opinion, because it's not true about Jesus. The cold springs were refreshing, beneficial. Apparently, Laodicea, not so with the water that they had there. Have you ever been to a place or lived in a place where the water out of the tap isn't that great? Yeah. You know, in fact, if you go to Western Queensland, some of our towns there, I'm sure they're very grateful for their source of water. But the water straight out of the tap is, is it's warm, right? Lukewarm, in fact, it has a smell. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, they get it from the, the artesian basin. It's just not that nice to drink straight out of the tap. And if you didn't know and you went into that town and you, and you put a cup of water straight from the tap and you tried to drink it, your reaction might be to what? Spit it out. I think this is what Jesus is saying here. Can you get the context now? You don't drink it straight from the tap. You have to filter it and let it cool down first. Jesus says, you know, that kind of water is like distasteful. I don't want to, like I've got to spit it out. And he's saying that's kind of like what the church there was to him at this point. Unpalatable. He didn't say that he didn't love them. He didn't say they weren't his, his followers or, or Christians. When he says spit out, he's not saying I'm, I'm rejecting you. He's saying that there's a taste coming from this church. That's distasteful. And my hope, church, is that we would never be distasteful to Jesus. But I'm prepared to put the question to us today because we're reading his word. So I guess I needed to ask the question, what does a lukewarm church, what does it look like? You know, I guess what does it taste like? Because the context here with the church being unlike hot and cold 
springs is that it doesn't have life-giving properties. I think that's one of the points. It, it, it's not that, that really refreshing cold or that kind of healing hot spring. They were also a, a rich people in the, in the sense that they had a, a, a physical wealth, but they weren't spiritually rich. They obviously had, had a spiritual poverty and Jesus is like, doesn't taste good, guys, to me and maybe to others as well. There's a reliance on self. I don't need God. I got what I need. We can identify with that, can't we? Okay, maybe we can. I think that's why Jesus says to his church, instead of putting your trust in your personal wealth, I expect you to buy gold from me. Because you can take care of yourself. We can try anyway. He says, buy gold from me. In other words, invest your time, energy, and your resources into spiritual treasures. Because they, have, they are deep, and they are rich, and they are eternal. That's the value that he's seeking. The stuff that we accumulate, sure, it's good and it's beneficial for us, but in the end, it's nothing because we leave it all behind, right? It doesn't have eternal value. I have no doubt that God is happy with the investment we've made into our property here, but he, what he wants from us more than anything is investment into transformed lives, you know, uh, into deeply committed followers of Jesus uh, with a healthy spirituality. What he wants is investment into love and compassion for those, for everyone, but particularly for those who are hurting and in need of an investment. What he's looking for is, is an investment into pushing back against suffering to push back against evil. Those are the treasures that God wants. Buy gold from him. Those are the things that run hot in the kingdom. So since we're reading a, another letter for us to kind of hold up and help reflect on ourselves, like we have to actually, we've got to ask ourselves the question. It's in God's word. Are, are we lukewarm? We're lacking healing properties or refreshment with the people who interact with us? That's a good question to ask ourselves individually and as a church. How does this church taste to God? And do we, how do we individually taste to God? It kind of reminded me of a scripture from Paul in, in 2 Corinthians. He says in verse 15, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance Rising up to God. When Jesus considers the life-giving properties of Hills Church, do we taste good? You know, do, we, do we smell good? I guess. No. Spiritually. <laughs> you do smell good physically, by the way. But spiritually, do we... Do we you know, we like that water that sometimes we get it from some of the towns out west. It, it's got that gas smell to it almost it's like it's not pleasant so you know it's the fragrance that rises up to God is it is it pleasant to him or is it smelly and lukewarm and distasteful if we go back to verse 19 Jesus said I, I correct and discipline everyone I, I love so be diligent and turn from your indifference and I thought that was a pretty key word indifference in Laodicea, there was an indifference to what Jesus would expect to see in a gathering of his believers. 
we should go back to the Oxford Dictionary again, right? I've been doing this a little bit lately. Let's just have a look at that word indifference. Here's what it said. Lack of interest, concern, or sympathy. Lack of interest, concern, or sympathy, mediocrity in our spirituality. He says, turn from that kind of life, you know, that kind of uh, lukewarm faith, mediocre, indifferent. Turn from that. He didn't, there's no, the word repent isn't there this week, but that kind of is what turn means. Turn a different way from that kind of relationship with Jesus, that lukewarm one, you know, and because this is a letter to a church, church, we turn away from that. We don't accept mediocrity in our spirituality, in how we boldly talk about Jesus, how we follow his commands and live for him, in our, just in our close walk and personal relationship with him. Not a mediocre one. Eugene Peterson, who writes the message, he summarizes or paraphrases verse 19 this way. He says, the people I love, I call to account. Prod and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. That's good. Run after God. You know, not shuffle slowly when the hill's on a downward slope and all I've got to do is pick up my feet. Run after God. It's beneficial. And this is how he ends the letter in verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. That's pretty good, isn't it? Like, are we going to take turns? on? The th- I don't know how this works in heaven. <laughs> Do you have to take a number and get in line? But whatever it is, God will work it out. Obviously, he symbolically means it. Sit on my throne. Maybe it'll not be symbolically. Maybe it'll be physically. I don't know. But what I do know is that he calls us friends and we're sitting there right with him on the throne. That's a pretty good image right there. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen. Please listen, everyone, to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. In London, there's a church, a cathedral by the name of St. Paul's. And there's a famous painting by Holman Hunt called Light of the World. Is anyone familiar with this? It looks, go back to one. It looks like, oh, there's two images, right? There it is. It looks like that right at the front of the church. And it sits there. It's called Light of the World. It's from this particular passage. Now we can zoom in on it. Thanks, Joseph. It's a picture of Jesus holding a lamp, standing at your door, knocking. And the beauty of this picture is that you can't see a door handle on the outside. There's only an inside door handle on this. This is the image of Jesus for us at the end of these seven letters. Standing, knocking, asking to come in. T. 
to your life. But it's up to you to open the door and let him in. Doesn't, he doesn't force his way in because that's not love. I guess you could ignore him and continue without Jesus and struggle with, without that hope that he gives us and that life he gives us. I guess you could open the door just a little bit, you know, open the door a crack. That's a good step. Maybe you could let him into the first room, you know, the entry of your house, so to speak, which is, I think, is what a lot of us do. He's in. That's far enough. Maybe this is what the church in Laodicea does. Or you can allow him all the way into the house. This is the symbolic story I'm telling you, which just talks about every part of your life. Into every room. All the way. All the way in. Every part. Even the secret bits that you're kind of a little bit ashamed of. We can let him into there as well. Remember we were reading not long ago, he says, I'm humble and gentle. He's a life-giving God. And I ask you to consider that today. Each and every one of us here individually, open the door all the way. Every door in every room, with every light on. He brings the light, actually. But here's the thing. This is a, a letter to a church, a gathering of Christians. Perhaps we as a church can settle on a form of Christianity that's nice and comfortable, let Jesus into the foyer, just enough to acknowledge and talk about him, perhaps occasionally to him over a cup of coffee, but we don't let him all the way through. Just stay out there, Jesus, and we'll listen as much as we think we want to. We're not going to listen to everything. And I think that's the lukewarm bit, isn't it? There's no spiritual vitality when we do that. The light and power and truth can just stay at a surface level in the entryway. The lamp... The manifest presence of Jesus should be firmly in every part of the church shining brightly. And I'm pondering this this week. Is Jesus showing us some lukewarm areas in the life of this church? Are we really loving God and, and others like he makes very clear to us that we have to? You know, are we being faithful and trusting him with what he provides instead of just trusting what we have? Are we avoiding complacency and compromise? Those were some of the letters we've been reading over the last seven weeks. I feel like God's been reminding me not to be indifferent. You know, I guess, you know, when you're the pastor, there's a responsibility. I feel like God was saying when I was writing this message, don't be indifferent. Like the church in Laodicea found themselves. Uh, Nathan, check the spiritual temperature of the church. Is it lukewarm? Don't take it for granted. 
Because the New Testament church, wow, they lived by the Spirit, didn't they? While under pressure and persecution, they lived by the Spirit. They followed Jesus and everything they did. May this always be us as we move through life and as we continue to live for him as a church and as we follow the mission that he's given us. There was a couple that were once part of this church and they now live overseas. And I remember once, one day, uh, Natalie came to me and said, uh, God gave me a, a vision or a, a dream and I just, I'm just going to tell you and I don't really understand what it means, but you kept putting logs on the fire. And it came to mind as I was finishing off this message today. Me, but all of you, have a job to keep the spiritual temperature running hot and not let the fire go cold and be lukewarm. And that's what I want us just to, to ponder today. I am grateful that this week, I'm going off script now. <laughs> Hopefully this is a, spiritual thing. But I'm grateful that this week, on Monday when I was contemplating this, I remember that there was a season, we, I did a, ser a series called By Signs and Wonders, and we were looking into the miraculous work of God in the church and how it tends to kind of, um, sometimes we, we don't push in very hard into that side because we're worried about a bunch of stuff. And uh, and as I was thinking about that, someone rang me and said, hey, pastor, on Wednesday night, can we pray some healing prayers for people? And it reminded me that perhaps I'd, I'd gone away from this and, and I wasn't trusting God enough in praying bold prayers, you know, breakthrough prayers for others and for us. And so we did on Wednesday night. We prayed for three people in particular and I'm not sure if there's a breakthrough yet in that particular space. But gee, it was a good prayer meeting. Crying out to God. And we're going to just trust God with the outcome of that anyway. And so as a church, I'm, I'm just saying today, as we close off this series, there's been a bunch of lessons in there. You know, all of these letters were like, church, these are warnings for us. Don't go there. Stay close to me. And I invite you, don't just let the pastor do this. Let's do it together. Let's live our lives without complacency. Let's, let's um, run spiritually hot. Let's trust God. You know, when we, when we pray for these breakthroughs and these miracles, if he chooses not to answer in that moment, if he chooses not to answer, we're not going to stop. That's right. We're going to keep on going with all of the, the needs you have and that your family have and that your friends have around you, that this world has around us, we're just going to keep on praying and believing, trusting God with the outcomes in these things. So this morning as we close, there's a bunch of things that's on my mind. I'm thinking about those of you that are probably contemplating this idea of opening the door to Jesus. I want to start with you first. I want to, I want to encourage you, don't leave the auditorium today without saying yes to Jesus. Open the door. And if you've already opened the door and you know that he kind of just stands in the entryway and you're like, that's enough. What would it look like for him to come all the way in? Don't leave today without talking to Jesus about that. 
And lastly, if you've got a need right now, we want to pray a breakthrough prayer for you today. In faith. I'm going to invite you to to join the prayer team after this last song to do exactly that. So would you join me now as we pray? Just as you're sitting there, in quietly in your hearts, if, there's a, if you need to talk to, to Jesus and just invite him through, invite him in, do it now. Just admit your need for him, believe in who he is and commit to him today. ABC. well aware that you kind of you've accepted Jesus but you don't really give him full reign in your life you haven't surrendered it all to him then do that now I invite you to do that now he's knocking at the door So, Lord, as, a, as your church here, we, we heed your caution and your concern and your warning this morning. And you have, we give you full access and reign in your church. Not just the bits where it's nice and comfortable, God, but the bits where it's challenging, the bits, Lord, where we need more faith. The bits, God, that uh, we, we think we need to control ourselves, but we need to let you control. Have full reign, not just in our Sunday worship services, Lord, in, in the collective church, in the lives of the people, in the prayer meetings, the, the small groups, the, the, out, the, uh, the, the outreach ministries, Lord, the, the finances, the, all of these things. give them all over to you the direction that we have to take Lord where there's a bit of fear we surrender that to you as well and we ask that you would help us to overcome and live a victorious life in the name of Jesus this morning we look and turn our eyes to you We behold you, the one and the only, the holy one. Lord, turn up the heat, we pray. (laughs) May we never be lukewarm. Never lukewarm. Amen. Amen.